All righty, we know a lot is happening. No better person to figure it all out with all of us is uh, Dr. David Birdsell, happens to be the provost of the great King University. Nice enough. A very busy morning to give us a couple of minutes. Uh, welcome. Happy New Year, my friend. And uh, I'll tell you, there is so much going on right now. It's good to have you. There is so much going on indeed. Happy New Year to you, Jay. Great to be here. Indeed. You know, I heard a clip of you before regarding Santos and everything else. Ironically, coming on the show today, uh, very in tune. Let's get into the whole thing before we get into the Kevin McCarthy stuff. Uh, in George Santos, truth be told, David, uh, I would have given him a pass regarding the embellishment, education, work history, and everything else. Way too much now for me, even though he's supposed to be on the show. Didn't show up last Wednesday, said he was sick. Who knows, maybe another lie, but in essence, you know, I kind of have a change of tune right now. All that has come out, of course, the latest from last week in which the amount of dollars spent on the traveling aspect, nobody's ever seen that before as far as a congressional candidate, but it's just way too much for me to digest at this point in time. You know, I mean, pick pick where you want to go. You want to go with the, the grandparents, you know, what he said was, you know, kind of the the fleeing of persecution of Jews in Europe, you know, called himself a grandson of Holocaust refugees, not even the case. Both grandparents, by the way, born in Brazil. You know, the whole thing about being Jewish or calling himself Jewish, you know, that, I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. Even the latest regarding the Pulse nightclub, you know, what he said was four of his employees died in the nightclub uh, in 2016. None of the victims, none of the victims, had any connection to George Sims, according to the New York Times investigation. So anywhere you want to go with this, I mean, it is a sheer prevarication. I, I can't get behind this guy. I, I, I can't. In the beginning, I was willing to give him a little bit of a pass here. Resume embellishment and everything else. Can't do it anymore. I'm sorry. Can't do it, Tim. I'm with you, Jay. Uh, you know, this is way beyond a little stretching the truth. Uh, this is creating a life out of whole cloth. Uh, and that's disturbing enough, and it should be disturbing to all the residents of the third district. But beyond that, uh, is the question of, uh, possible criminality here with regard to his campaign spending, with regard to his representations about the source of the money that he spent. Uh, where did the $700,000 come from that he lent to his campaign? Just from a man who the year before claimed $55,000 in income and no assets. Uh, so th- these, these are all very hard to square. And the resolution is going to proceed along two tracks, one of which I expect to go absolutely nowhere, and the other we'll see where the evidence uh, leads several prosecutors who are looking into this case right now. The House has the option, if the House has a speaker, uh, to yeah. appoint an ethics panel and have that say, ethics panel review this case. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that goes anywhere. I think they wait for a prosecutor to try to figure out whether there's criminality and remove him on felony charges if those are warranted. So, in essence, uh, he is going to have his uh, his right hand up, left hand on a Bible when when the swearing in takes place today. Business as usual. Uh, my uh, my mindset is regarding Santos's mindset, uh, and then let the chips fall where they may. As far as all these investigations, ethics committee, Letitia James throwing a little Ann Donnelly. As far as DA in Nassau County, that's about it there. 
But in essence, uh, Santos will be business as usual a little bit later on today in the nation's capital, I would assume. That's exactly how he's going to try to play it, and we'll see how long he can keep that up. We know he's going to be followed by a scrum of press everywhere that he goes in the corridors of the Capitol, um, and it's going to be very, very hard outside of his own chambers uh, and the floor of the House uh, to conduct business as usual, given the, uh, the, the continuing pattern of lies uh, that we've seen even over the course of the last few days. Question, uh, Dr. Verso with us. So that's the Sano stuff. Let's get into the whole McCarthy thing. That's another big storyline here. And the question is, the votes, you know, you need what, uh, David? You need 218 to get in if you're Kevin McCarthy. But you know what? He's getting a bit of a swell here as far as those who are not fully aligned with him. From what we hear about 14 GOPers, we know about the Big Five. You know, I talked a little bit about Andy Biggs uh, a little earlier here. Matt Getz, uh, you know, you kind of wonder... Uh, if you are a GOP, you know, it's been a while here. As far as the force of the party, in essence, you have a shot here. What are we doing at the 11th hour? You know, you can kind of make that determination. But, you know, there's a confident McCarthy. Maybe he'll have the votes. What, in essence, uh, does he have a little bit later on? Well, it's not clear right now. It seems that he is still shy of that 218 threshold that he needs to become the speaker. Uh, if he does not hit that 218 threshold, uh, the real question is what comes next? Uh, does the House continue to vote until there is a successful speaker candidate? Uh, do they suspend voting and move into a conversation among the caucus? Uh, does uh, McCarthy or some other leader at some other point try to create a two-party majority of 218 votes? I see that as completely inconceivable right now but if this stretches out into time I've got to remember Jay that there has been only once uh, since the second world war that we have not elected a speaker uh, in, on the first ballot um, and we have to go back to the pre-civil war era uh, to find a time when we went into multiple ballots uh, so we have a chance to see some history unfolding here and in a landscape where the constitution does not prescribe what the next steps have to be you know i'm kind of wondering is it sheer being disingenuous when i look at a guy like matt getz uh, andy biggs for that matter as well i mean you know the uh, the swamp uh shake up the status quo i'm wondering here is is it about just putting the spotlight on these guys as well as you know three others in the big five uh, i'm I'm just kind of trying to get a grasp here uh, of the true nature of it all is it complete not being aligned with mccarthy or maybe they just uh are looking for a little more attention here i don't know i i can't figure this out well, it can be parts of all of the above. And remember that a number of the uh, uh, people who are or were opposing uh, McCarthy's candidacy uh, were not only opposed to McCarthy because they see him as an agent of the establishments, and in this case, establishment being uh, the, 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 the Republican Party, uh, but they are against uh, funding the government, raising the debt ceilings. Uh, uh, they're perfectly happy to... Uh, default on the uh, faith and credit of the United States. Uh, there, they have raised questions about the utility of government in a variety of areas. Would like to eliminate three federal agencies at the very least. Um, there isn't necessarily a commitment to any policy outcomes. There is clearly a commitment 
to trying to undo things and oppose things that other people would like to accomplish. And remember, we're talking about, by the most generous interpretation, somewhere between 10 and 15 percent of the GOP caucus. Uh, and it really is that 10 to 15 percent that is the tail wagging the dog right now because the speaker can't become a speaker uh, without appealing to that group unless we were to return to uh, some kind of vision of cooperation where you would reach a bipartisan majority to support a speaker candidacy. Just one fascinating possibility here, Jay, is that the Constitution does not mandate that the Speaker of the House has to be a member of the House. So if if this were to go, and I don't expect this to happen, but were it to go uh, to multiple ballots and take weeks, not hours or days, uh, to resolve, there might be an opportunity to find a consensus figure outside of those presently elected representatives to take up the speaker's gavel. That has never happened in our history, but it is a cer- it is certainly a permissible outcome under the Constitution and all of the legal analyses that I've seen. Speak clear here, just for sheer understanding. Uh, obviously, he is seeking to lock down the support necessary to secure the gavel McCarthy is. But we've got a, a very contentious floor fight in store, it seems. Uh, doesn't have the support needed to win the initial round of voting. Meaning, David, uh, the race for speaker could go to multiple ballots, correct? And we haven't seen this, Absolutely. by the way, since the 20s, 1920s. So to be elected speaker, folks, you need to win a majority of the members who vote for a specific individual on the House floor. Am I correct in saying that? And that really equates to the 218 votes if no member skips the vote or votes present. Am I right kind of in stating all this? Uh, yes, with one with one wrinkle on that vote's present. So if everybody votes yes or no, you need 218. If people vote present, uh, which obviously indicates no preference for anyone, they're actually removed from the total number of votes needed. So let's say there were two people who voted present. The, the number needed to win in that case among those voting yes or no drops to 216. Uh, And obviously those numbers just snowball as you add more people voting present. Now, it is possible, at least, uh, that the members of uh, the the Freedom Caucus and others who have pledged to vote against the McCarthy candidacy could vote present, and that way they uphold their pledge not to vote for him, uh, but reduce the numbers needed voting aye uh, to a level that he could actually be installed as Speaker. That is a plausible outcome uh, in this case, and it allows for more maneuvering. But, you know, one of the other questions that I have here, Jay, if he doesn't get across on the first ballot, what is it that people are bargaining over at that stage? Is it further uh, uh, attention to the House rules? Uh, Is it some other kind of commitment, be it committee chairmanships, uh, a pledge to fast-track some kinds of legislation, whatever it might be? Um, and th- that hasn't already been addressed because we've had ample time since the election uh, to try out noses in the caucus and figure out who's going to vote for what. So what what is the substance of that next act if, if there is not an agreement at noon today on the first ballot? What, and that's what it's all about, you know? Uh, and I think... And, and that's what kind of propels my thinking to go in other directions here, especially a guy like Matt Getz. 
You know, Matt Getz has been so pro-GOP all over the place over the last couple of years. We know Donald Trump left and right. You know, you would think he and McCarthy are right there. Lockstep, as far as everything is concerned. And that's why this 11th hour turbulence, I am somewhat befuddled. Because here you have the party, which we know has been chopping at the bit for how many years now? And in essence, they have a chance, a chance to kind of take stronghold here. So in essence, you know, it is somewhat baffling here, especially a guy like Getz, you know. Uh, But I guess we'll see what happens a bit later on. But, you know, we could go to the multiple ballot type of thing. And that's when it becomes very tricky in essence, you know. Uh, It becomes tricky indeed. And the only thing that I I would suggest that's a little bit different from uh, your description of Representative Guest is that he's been pro-Trump, not necessarily pro-GOP. And he has been very explicit in his condemnation of uh, colleagues who also have an R after their name, uh, who are not willing to uh, endorse uh, all of the positions that Donald Trump has taken up to and including uh, the false representation of the stolen election. Um, and that's one of the things that you're seeing play out here right now. Uh, the elements of the GOP, which is which are dwindling, uh, that look more like the uh, party of big corporate America from the that, that was unequivocally at the beginning of the twenty of, of the twenty first century, uh, but is now moving away from that posture, is becoming locked down into the culture wars. And with, again, this 10 to 15 percent of the caucus that insists, you know, our positions are absolute, we're not budging, and this is what you need to get our votes. I mean, you need to pass our agenda pretty much lock, stock, and barrel 100 percent up and down the line. Um, and that's why I'm going to be really, really interested if there is not uh, success at noon on the first ballot, and even if there is going forward, because the next vote that comes up is a vote on the House rules. Uh, and we know that uh, uh, candidate McCarthy, that is speaker candidate McCarthy, has already said that he will uh, allow uh, for the speaker to be called up for a uh, vote of no confidence uh, with the objection of one member, which is exactly what Matt Getz and others have been looking for out of the, out of the gate. So uh, major changes and a major shift in the identity of the party uh, that I think has profound electoral implications in the years going forward that the Trump factor uh, still is in play. And, you know, I had this discussion over the weekend with a family member. You know, it, it's it's about the fact that who controls the Republican Party at this point in time, you know? And you can make the case it's Donald Trump. You know, he has, he still, you know, he still waves the wand as far as, you know, how he wishes this party to kind of go along in time over the next couple of years. You know, you can get a sense of that as far as everything else is concerned. He still has that aura. Uh, you know, even though I have stated many a time in the last couple of weeks, uh, David, he's lost a little bit of the luster. You know, we saw what happened on November the 8th with the endorsements and everything else. You know, he is still out there barking regarding election fraud, which nobody wants to hear. January 6th has become very prominent over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but in essence, he still has, you know, his way of controlling the situation, so to speak. Well, he does. And to a certain extent now in the Republican Party, you can get Trump without Trump. 
uh, that he has so fundamentally altered the power structures in the party, so fundamentally weakened uh, the central governing bodies of the Republican Party beyond the positions and the, and the stylistics and the tone uh, that he set during his presidency, uh, and he continues to set, uh, that this is now the image for many Republicans. And one of the questions that I have, if we look at the performance uh, of some of the people most bought into uh, the Trump worldview in this last election cycle, and I'm thinking of the Carrie Lakes, and I'm thinking of the Doug Mastrianos, and I'm thinking of others uh, who were endorsed by uh, former President Trump and who lost their elections, uh, that these are uh, these were folks who were not successful in eminently winnable states for Republican candidates. So one of the questions I have going forward, and this is what I was uh, talking about a couple of minutes ago when I said I'm really interested in the electoral implications down uh, down the line. If uh, Kevin McCarthy is successful, and if the cost of success is basically buying into a Freedom Party agenda, uh, which I would argue took a drubbing uh, in the November elections of last year, um, that's going to have implications for 2024 and beyond. And that's one of the things to watch here. What kind of Republican Party emerges in the person of this new speaker uh, and in the behaviors and policy agendas, if, if, if there are such, that we see in the House? I mean, you could make the case, you know, and I'm trying to think here. If, if not Kevin McCarthy, David Birdsell, then who? You know, the first guy that comes to my head is maybe a guy like Steve Scalise. I mean, what about an individual of that nature? Certainly plausible. Uh, and there are other names that have been advanced. Uh, of, of course, Representative Biggs has put his own name forward. Uh, there are a number of people also from the Freedom Caucus who are uh, suggesting that Jim Jordan is plausible. Clearly, neither of those would be a compromise candidate. Uh, and, and, and this is a group that is not inclined to compromise. So it's no surprise that they're putting together, uh, putting forward uh, the names of their own members as alternatives to Kevin McCarthy. Again, I find the most intriguing thought uh, to be the idea of finding somebody outside of entirely. Uh, it would be unprecedented. We've never tried it in the United States, but it's legal. could happen. Um, you know, all the Constitution says about this process is that the House shall choose a speaker. That, 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 that's it. There's, there's no structure. There's no uh, constraint on who that person might be. And, in fact, there were members of the Freedom Caucus who said that they would like to advance Donald Trump, Speaker of the House of Representatives. Um, so that is, is, is again, I, I can't imagine that that would happen unless this drags into a weeks-long process. Again, it's been since uh, uh, the 1830s that that's happened. Uh, but it could happen. And if that does take place, and as a result, uh, governance in the United States is pretty well paralyzed because the Speaker is so powerful with regard to appoint, appointments to committee, committee chairmanships, uh, the legislative agenda, the whole nine yards. I mean, it's a really critical position. And remember, this is the person who is number three in line for the presidency. Um, so uh, a very big deal indeed. And if it does go to a long period of time uh, where that body is paralyzed, uh, novel solutions may present themselves. I'm loving this right now. I mean, they're sitting on the sidelines, Chuck Schumer and company saying, you know what? Keep it going, baby. Keep the turbulence going. It is a lot of fun watching this. That's right now you know what many have figured on the other side, David. Oh, that's absolutely right. And this, this is it's sort of a 
parallel to what uh, all of the Republican presidential hope- hopefuls right now are doing watching uh, the Trump candidacy twist in the wind uh, and perhaps fade away. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. But the idea is we don't have to do anything here uh, because he's doing plenty to ruin his own chances. And the Democrats are feeling right now the same way about what the prospective House leadership is, uh, is doing to its own chances and to the image of the party more broadly. So with us, Provost Kenya Versa, I'll throw one more at you, David, and that is, I think, one of the first things on the Republican agenda when they do take over the House has to be uh, putting uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security in front of a tribunal. He has some explaining uh, to do, especially with these air marshals being shifted to the border uh, and taking them out of transportation mode, taking them out of the chief of security in the air, knowing the fact of what Al-Qaeda right now, according to all report, most reports that I have read, that they are using, you know, some sort of situation at hand, monitoring very closely new technology Uh, coming into play. All that is happening down at the border. Mayorkas in denial. The president not visiting. The czar, forget it. All that is in play has to be that of the agenda to make sure Alejandro Mayorkas gets in front of some tough questioning and to figure out what in the heck is going on right now because we cannot have this, I'll tell you that much, putting people in harm's way now on these planes. I mean, no way. So, in essence, that's got to be at the top of the list right now. Well, and that, that, and that is one of the clearest uh, policy agendas uh, on the part of the uh, the new majority. Uh, and you're, you're absolutely right. That's going to be one of the things they want to see up quickly. Uh, but, you know, again, to our earlier conversation, you can't do it until you have a speaker. Uh, you can't do it until you have committee structures. Uh, and none of that is going to happen until we resolve this question that comes to a vote for the first time today. Uh, and we'll see if it gets resolved or if it keeps on coming up for a vote for days and, again, perhaps weeks to come. So you will be monitoring, as will I, and we look forward to our next conversation with Dr. David Birdsell, of course, the fine, fine Provost King University. Uh, sir, again, a very happy new year. Look forward to more conversation. 